So this is Jim Duncan with Nest Realty, Sweat the Details. Um, this week, Jonathan, Keith, and I sat down and talked about technology in the real estate space, uh, technology that affects real estate, and it'd be a good marker to put down and look at it in a year as to what uh, whether our predictions come true. So uh, thanks for taking the time to listen. Really appreciate it. So Jonathan, I got two questions for you. Um, what excites you about technology right now? And what is one of the biggest failures you've seen in technology in the real estate space? Uh, let's address the first. First, what excites me about technology? I'd say that you know the way technology is not just in our world but in real estate is it's becoming kind of more of one in what we do on a regular basis. So when we started Nest 15 years ago. Like technology was kind of like separate from everything else, and it was hard to integrate it into your into your business. For example, and I'll, maybe this answers the second question, all at the same time. Not necessarily a failure, but one thing that we talked about in the early days of starting Nest, and still talk about now, but in the early days is like, how do we differentiate? How can we bring this service and experience to our agents, to our clients? And one of the things we seriously looked at was spending $35,000, which is a lot of money now and was a lot of money, a lot, a lot, a lot of money to us back then on the Microsoft Surface um, tool, which was, which was like a coffee table. Um, giant cert- monitor. Yeah, giant monitor that we would have integrated real estate search in. And we said we could have clients come into the office and search for homes in Charlottesville and Crozet and Albemarle County by this in this giant coffee table. And that would have differentiated us. Well, I wouldn't necessarily say that was a failure from Microsoft standpoint, but it evolved into touch screens and, and things like that. Um, it probably would have been a failure if we spent the $35,000 because would that not would, have been a wise investment. Truly would have been a coffee table that we would be moving into our new office as kind of a museum piece. Yeah. Um, but I think the integration of technology and everything we do is the exciting part now. And I think the challenging part is how do we sift through everything that's out there um, and not be constantly bombarding our agents with knew this, knew that, knew this. Because you know, even with home sales being down, agents are extremely busy. We know why, because they're showing lots of houses and writing lots of offers that may not necessarily be accepted. They're extremely busy, and we know that agents don't, and rightfully so, don't want to have tons of change thrown on them every single day, week, month. They and we don't want 27 new tools they have to learn every six months. You want five that work. Right. Yeah, five, that, five that make both the business practice better for, for the agents and for the brokerage and also and make the client experience better because it's just, you know, you know, clients are looking for ways that we can differentiate and, make, and be better than the online tools they have access to and online message boards and family, friends, et cetera. So I think that more the more valuable tools we can bring to the client experience, the better off that, you know, Nest will be and our agents will be and the clients will be. I was just going to say, it is interesting though, but from pre-real estate days, so 20 years back when I was doing corporate sales, the two tools that we used the most were CRMs that really were nothing more than spreadsheets that would allow us to keep detailed notes so that other individuals within the organization could see what we were working on and where our clients stood in, in different sales processes. There was that, but then there was also Lotus Notes, which allowed us to share experiences in the field with other sales reps, right? So you knew what our competition was working on and what was what was taking place. And so that 
that piece though, those two things are not the way we use technology anymore, right? I mean, the CRM, you have to have some form of CRM and everybody says the best CRM is the one you'll use. But the reality is a CRM right now that is isolated may be a functionally good tool but it, if it is not integrated with the other tech stack that you have within the real estate environment, it's not going to change your customer your consumer experience. It's not going to change the efficiencies of, of your agent. It's not going to provide that value. And the value now is shifted from a tool that was easy to a tool that actually expands other opportunities. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're exactly right about a CRM. It's, if it's just a Rolodex that's sitting on a table, right? We all have that in our phone now. Here I am lifting my phone up and showing it. But, um, but yeah. So the, the, see, and, and look, this is the, the challenge. I'll go back to what I was saying. The challenge that we have as, as brokers and, and as agents is to sift through everything that's out there and, you know, w- with collaboration with, with our agents, um, figure out what the right technology is that they need that helps them manage their business, uh, grow their business and drive relationships. I think those are the, those are the, the three big pieces that we've got to look at and it's got to be simple. It's got to be intuitive and powerful, which is hard. This hard. And that's why adoption rates in the, across the industry. And look, admittedly, even with Nest, and we can talk about that, uh, our adoption rates are lower than they should be for some of what we think are amazing assets mm-hmm. that we're bringing to the table. Um, uh, and you, you never get 100% adoption on, on anything. Actually, you know, may, maybe not. We can talk about that too. But um, we got to have it be simple, powerful, and intuitive. And those are challenges to do. And it's very hard for third-party, non-real estate agents design software for real estate agents, making assumptions of what they think they need, and then they put it in the agent's hands, and the agents are like, this doesn't make any sense. So that's the disconnect I think there is in the industry. Well, it's also, you look at, you know, from, from I've had many clients over the years who, who work in the tech world, and they ask me questions about the MLS. I'm like, well, why can't the MLS do this? Why can't the MLS do this? Because it was designed 20 years ago, and they've just changed its colors. Because it's, it's such an archaic tool. It does what it does very, very well. But and that's you know searching for homes and, and things of that nature. But the other the outside tools, the Zillows, the the Homes.com, et cetera, that's where they that's where they shine. But I think the question that I have you know that I'm constantly asking is, you know, what tools can we implement that will make our our agents better and make our brokers better? But also, what tools can we pull out? I mean, are they, as we redesign our tech stack, as we go back through that, is there anything in there that that might not work as well right now, is it, and, and so we we pull it out. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that uh, designing something simple, whether it's um, a, f- a flyer or whether it's a website or whether it's software, designing something that's simple is extremely hard. It's very easy to say, hey, we want to design new real estate software and we, let's make a list of everything an agent could use and put it on a sheet of paper, and let's build all of it. And the the challenge with that is it's it's too much. It's analysis paralysis. And look, this is what we've run into the last couple of years. And we are right now, for those of you that are not with Nest, um, we are in the process of re- rebuilding internal 
kind of our internal backbone software, which we call Envoy, um, and rolling it out in um, you know in in a couple weeks um, for our agents. And as we have been designing and architecting this Envoy 2.0 software, um, one of the hardest things is to pull things out. And we've gone back and looked at adoption reports over the last couple of years, and we have decided to pull some tools out that maybe you know are, are just it's a little bit of fluff. And they may not be as easy to use, and just aren't being used as much. So we've just decided to, to pull those out. And that goes back to my point of like we've got to have it be simple um, because a, a, you know adoption is is everything. Uh, with tech, I mean, what's the one tool that that agents have adopted 100? percent Well, um, it's it's kind of by design, but the the one tool is our uh, is our transaction management. So for, for really, compliance, yeah, for compliance purposes, is like if if an agent wants to you know get paid and um, which they do and they should, then they've got to use the transaction management. And the the nice thing about the software that we've designed and that we'll be rolling out is that the transaction management is kind of the center of it. And then it's tied to the CRM. So when you put your clients in the transaction management, it flows to the CRM and that flows into email marketing and that flows into the transaction management flows into um, a client portal that a client can see, you know, what's happening in the transaction and, and kind of a couple tools from there, but it's all tied in together to reduce the, Triple, quadruple entry. Which I'll say, the clients, the you know, the back end that we offer, the front end for them, is extremely useful because they're able to go in and see what you know what the steps are. One of the questions that a lot of my clients ask, whether they're first, second, third time home buyers, is, okay, we're under contract. What do we do now? Do you have a checklist? I'm like, yeah, I do. Click, 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 and there it is. And it's something that you know, our role, you know, one of our many roles, is to be that trusted source of information and the right information and to know the right context and the right answers. And if we're able to provide that, you know, if it, were, if it was a clunky and dating myself, you know, DOS interface, you know, they wouldn't, you know, the chuckles around the table, you know, there wouldn't be that same embrace of that, of that, of that interface. You'd be like, oh, there's lots of, you know, lots of dots and stuff, but it's beautiful. It's pretty. It makes them comfortable. And it puts them at ease because not just because it's beautiful, but it also it's the right answers. I think that's something mindful of everything we do is putting out something that the, you know, the agents and the and the and the clients will love because they're both customers well, in a lot of ways. You've heard me say before, um, but I truly believe that uh, great design builds trust. Mm-hmm. And you're right when when something isn't well designed, at least spe- specifically for me, it doesn't matter if I go into a restaurant or. Uh, you know any type of business and look at an, an advertisement. If it's not designed well, then I'm immediately skeptical. Right. And so that's a big driver in the software that we're building. Is it's beautiful, and you look at it from an agent perspective, and even from a back end accounting compliance perspective, our accounting team, like what they're seeing is beautiful. What our agents are seeing is beautiful, and then definitely what our clients are seeing when you have a buyer that goes on a contract and you invite them to their what's next client portal. It's beautiful. It's intuitive. They can see the house that they're buying. They can see the key dates that are, that are coming down the pipeline. They can see who are the key players, the lender, the attorney, and they can see 
tips and, and, and insight and tricks into, um, you know, what's happening over the upcoming month. And then there also, there's also educational materials that are going to be in there, you know, that whether you're a first time home buyer or you're, you know, buying your third and fourth house, there's going to be some insight that they can get from that. So yeah, be- beautiful and, and simple is a, is a big key. Now, Keith, I mean, how do you see, you know, as we're talking tech in the you know the next three, six, nine, twelve months, we've talked offline a lot about how AI is going to be part of our worlds, whether we like it or not. But it's been part of our worlds. Mm-hmm. You know, tell me a little bit about how it's been part that we didn't notice, and how it might be something in the future. And the premise that I look at is the best technology is one that is both invisible and functional. I mean, look. Obviously, AI is transforming at rates that everybody is somewhat alarmed by its its development speed in the last six, nine months, um, including the open letters to freeze any new any new testing of, of data sets. Um, the reality is we as agents have been using our own processes in manners that AI is now just automated, right? I mean, we, we, we've been talking a lot about the fact that Zillow probably is using tools that are identifying and utilizing the photography of listings to identify when upgrades have been happening to quartz countertops or to new bathroom designs and other pieces. And sure, they're going to start using that in, in their pricing. But the reality is that mindset of a computer identifying that a bathroom adds value is the exact same thing as an actual agent walking into a house and seeing a bathroom and saying there's value. Right. Um, so the idea that that some of this is, quote, AI is no different than three years ago, we always talked about big data and algorithms and being able to, you know, Zillow, this estimate has been getting better and better and better each year. It's still not perfect. It's still not exact. You know, we still see dramatic shifts in estimates when we actually go on the market and a realtor puts a price tag on it. And guess what? It comes in at 98% of, of the list price um, when that happens. But the reality is the algorithms are simply doing the same things that we as people have been been using. It is, But it, what it's changing is it's making everything we do potentially more efficient. It also allows us to step back, become less authentic. And I think that's the big piece in my mind with realtors who are trying to utilize this. You should be trying to utilize it. You should be finding everything. You should be constantly looking at the market and seeing what tools are out there that are free, whether it's you know, some of these iPhone apps that are amazing that can literally measure out and do floor plans just by walking around around a mm-hmm. property. They're incredible, but you also have to then go back and verify that the floor plan that it produces is accurate, right? And I think that's the piece that that, uh, that I worry about, that we're going to start relying upon some of these tools that that we're then going to just trust in, in the big brain of the computer. But the biggest issue, and this is one, Jim, you and I have talked about it, Netflix has a fabulous documentary that was done a number of years ago called Coded Bias um, that starts with an MIT uh, AI professor who was training data and found that the data was being trained only on Caucasian faces for facial recognition. And because of that, the entire system becomes flawed from the very beginning. And it is unable to identify people of indigenous populations, African-American populations. It was it, it the whole by the entire AI process starts from a non diverse population and therefore every bit of output favors a white population. And that is true of the financial modeling we've we're seeing on underwriting pieces. And, and we'll talk with 
you know, we'll, we'll have more conversations about that, but it's, that's the big question is where is, where are these data sets coming from? And that's going to be, this is going to be a huge conversation for the next decade. I mean, who's, I mean, it's, it's one that, you know, in everything that we do, we can do, you know, chat GPT. I use chat GPT for, for prompts, for, for things that I write or emails or, you know, and, you know, recipes, you know, just, yeah. there are ways that it can be used, but you have to have that human foundational knowledge that, you know, in our world, the intimate knowledge of being in the house and knowing the smell to attribute a, an accurate value to whatever that information is put up by the, by the AI. Because if the AI is saying, you know, one thing and has only the data that's been input, you know, garbage in, garbage out, I think that the, the risk, as you're, you're identifying, is that people might trust that flawed data without questioning the reality of, of what you're actually seeing. And that, to me, is fascinating. It's a little bit frightening, uh, but and certainly curious about how this is going to look in, you know, three, nine, 18 months. Yeah, and, and you know this isn't nearly on the same level as what Keith was talking about with the racial bias, but there are ways to trick technology. And I've talked about this a couple months ago, but you can trick Zillow by putting higher quality pictures in Zillow and it will boost the value of your house. And so you could trick it to thinking your house is worth four, five, six percent more, or maybe not think having Zillow think that it's worth four, five, six percent more just by putting bright new professional photos in the system. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's what you got to be careful of is like tr- tricking the system and knowing, but we've been tricking the system forever. Right. I mean, you know, we, we, Look, we, we pulled out last week, you were down in, in one of our other offices and found an entire bookshelf full of MLS books, okay? Even when you look at the MLS books, you can see that some people have taken better care in taking just when you only had the opportunity to do only one photograph. People were taking, some of the agents were taking better care than others. The reality is for the last 20 years as we've had MLSs that have been going online and the information's becoming easier to, to reach to the consumers, we as agents have recognized the better for the photography, the better the number of viewings. We're always putting our best foot forward. Publishers put out the best cover they can only if they care about the book, right? I mean, if if you know it's just going to be a, a bathroom read, you're not spending time and energy developing some brand out of out of the cover. And I think what we're giving to Zillow is exactly that. It's a care-driven agent perspective that is driving the value. And that's probably going to drive the value of the other marketing materials. And it's probably going to drive the value of the, the final price on that house. You're right. And with everything, there's a, I'll, I'll, I'll say there's a cheat code mm-hmm. for, for a lot of things that are, that's out there. And, and, uh, you know, we, we all know them, um, what they are, you know, it's, it's, and I've never published a book, but there's a cheat code for, the cover of the book, like color and font and mm-hmm. the name, what you name the book, uh, is makes a huge impact on book sales. Yes. Um, the pictures that you put in the MLS. R- remember, gosh, when, when, when professional quote unquote, high quality professional photography started to become a thing, um, 10, 15 years ago when it was really being integrated, remember the photos that you'd see online, the wide angle lenses, Oh, the photos. bird eye views, yeah. And There's you would say, oh my gosh, that room's big. And then rather. you would go in the room and it was like a seven by six bedroom, but it looked like it was 18 by 24. <laughs> so at a certain point in time... It's called lying. Yeah, that, uh, that, that, <laughs> that may not be a cheat code. That may, be, that may be lying. You're right, but yeah, so... 
But I, mean, I think that it's in a lot of ways, it's, it's just marketing, not that not to diminish it, but it's just how you present something. And I think the AI, I think, is going to change how people present things and how they receive things. And I'd like to think that it will make people a little bit more not suspicious, but question things a little bit more because you can't necessarily trust what the algorithm is putting out. I think that you know, what I try and tell my clients is that I know that I'm, you know, it's just changed since I started saying it, but I used to say, you know, I, I know that you're going to go to Google first, and you can go to your parents and Facebook second, and then you might come to me. I'd like to be, you know, maybe. 1B in that order. But now it's changed from, you know, Google to, to Facebook to Facebook is, you know, a cesspool. To, but, the um, you know, you're going to, to open AI and, and Reddit and, you know, Bing and things are shifting and changing. But I think that you can get a different and better answer by going to a conversational Bing and then go to the agent. Well, 1,000 Watt uh, Consulting Agency put a made a comment a couple of weeks ago, and I want to get your thoughts on this. They said, to use ChatGPT the best way, go in, ask ChatGPT your question, see what the output is, and then don't use that. Use, use something else. What, what are your thoughts on that? Because their, their thought was everybody's now going in and saying, what are the top 10 things I need to do to market my home? What are the this or that? So it's giving the same answers. Th- well, I thoughts? think it, it, that's... And this is again the world is moving so fast there's you know now prompt engineers I think that's the you know, it depends on how you ask the question you know, I think that that it go again for me it's I don't know if it's a function of age experience delusion but I'd like to think that the human factor and the empathy is going to be more valuable as we go forward but I think that it's how you frame that question is perhaps more important than anything else so I think that if you if 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 we train ourselves and our agents to ask the right questions of the of the of the ChatGPT, it's not going to be the same as the run of the mill agent. You know, there are 1.2 million realtors, 2.3 million real estate agents in the country. I'd like to think that we're putting putting out you know the top one percent of the of agents in the country. I think it's a matter of you know teaching and training how to ask those questions. Um, because and yeah, I think ask that ask the ask the you know for lack of a better way to frame it, ask a basic question, take that, and either iterate on it or just toss it. Because I think that you know, we're not looking for basic. We're looking for exceptional. Yeah, I mean, I think, Jonathan, to your question of what do I think of it, I, th- I, th- I think it's totally simplistic and relatively absurd to say throw it out. Um, to follow it to a T would be even more absurd. I mean, I think there is you everything that we're finding online, whether it's you know, go to the Encyclopedia Britannica when we were in elementary school and find an answer, you hopefully would not just write that answer down. I mean, that's not, you know, Wikipedia, when Wikipedia hit the, you know, really became a useful tool, the percentage of accuracy in it was still 80, 85%. You could, you could start there. Chat GPT is a starting point. This is not a, this is not the end goal. And I think to that point, thousand watt is right. You can't just follow what the prompt you know, give it a prompt and, and follow its response. But I do think it's an unbelievably useful set. And, th- you know, th- the reality is the answers that it gives in large part are beneficial, but you have to know the business and you have to be able to, to tweak it and understand what's going on with your client that's beyond. And this goes to, you know, Jim's point of writing a better prompt and being a better, you know, prompt engineer on it. It's going to drive the, the response validity. As an English major, I'm looking forward to becoming an engineer. 
Um, you get paid more. <laughs> get paid more from if, if I'm an English prompt engineer. Now, over here on ChatGPT, I asked what the best colors are for, for marketing a book. And it goes through a list. And it goes through and it says blue is associated with calmness and trustworthiness and reliability. And it goes through the rest of the color set. You know, it's not... You know, it's not the answer per se, but it's a starting point for what you're going to go with, to to Keith's point. Yeah, and and unrelated, but kind of related, is if you pay attention to the fast food world. Red. Every, almost every fast food company has red. (laughs) red. (laughs) Makes you hungry. So (laughs) at at a certain point in time, somebody's going to go the other direction. I know they have, um, but somebody's going to go the other direction and, and stand out in a, in, a, in a different way. Well, red evokes strong emotions and can be attention-grabbing and suitable for genres like romance, thrillers, and action-packed novels. People, and love, so, people so love their Big Macs and Chick-fil-A. <laughs> but, I, but I will say, there's we have a local bookstore that is, is up on the downtown mall that has several times has done an entire window display of current published books by color mm-hmm. and they will have the blue and yellow month and every single and you look at it and you're like did every publisher just get together and decide this is the blue and yellow month and the answer is yes they did i mean like this pantome has a color of the year for a reason and it becomes very useful in in the marketing tools and we start seeing it. once you recognize it, you start seeing it everywhere it's you know it's like when you buy a car you suddenly see them in in everywhere they are but this this bookstore just keeps putting out Here's the color. And you look at it and the the books all have themes. I mean, when it's green month, it's a specific theme of type of book that's that's grabbing that color. It's and you're you're recognizing where the publishers are going with our mind. Yeah. So as we get back to tech a little bit, you know, there's been tons of tech innovations over the past 15 years, 20 years. And, you know, we've talked about things like as crazy as it is, like the fax machine, how that changed the game um, for signing contracts. And then it shifted a DocuSign, which really changed the game uh, and made huge impacts on not just realtors' time, but speed and efficiency. What are the things that you see the next five years, maybe the one thing you see the next five years that really is going to impact Besides ChatGPT, impact so, real estate. So I'm actually, from a I'm going gonna, gonna to start with a little bit of a different take on it, and that is the things that I have watched over the last decade that I keep thinking should be changing the world that don't. The iPad should have changed the world more than it has within our industry, right? It should be something that we are pulling out on a regular basis, using for document showing and an actual, you know fake, you know, electronic pen signatures, whatever you want to call them. But we don't. And I think the reason is because we've become so accustomed now to being able to send the files and allow people to read them in their own place. We don't need to do it on the fly. But I keep thinking every time that I see a new app, I'm like, oh my God, that's going to be amazing on the iPad. And the iPad for me continues to be consumption of content. Like I still, it's where I read my Washington Post every day. It's where I read on my Kindle. It's where... I look at emails in the middle of the night. It's that's my that's what the iPad is for. I don't use it in the field, and I think that's kind of fascinating because I I got it. I mean, the first one I got was a Motorola Zoom <laughs> back in 08, 09. God, you loved that thing. I did love that thing. That was such a great tablet. But the the reality is, I got it thinking I was going to use it every day in the field, and I and I kept putting tools on it. I never was able to find a way to to really make it work. DocuSign was the is the one technology that has just transformed the efficiency of, of our business. I, I, I don't, 
I struggle with this one because I, I still think that the human function of professionalism and and listening is a thing that AI cannot yet do. Even though I've read stories about how, how uh, I forget about the movie, but you know, people are becoming friends with 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 the, these AI tools. I think that that is something that is frankly frightening because I think that as you become more friends with your your tech, you become less friends with the people sitting around the table. As we've talked about, like. Being in person doing the podcast again is so much better than you know than the Zoom, but I do think that AI is going to be the thing that's going to change how we practice. But I don't know how it's going to it's going to impact it. I mean, you look in every single day. There's a new, I can't, and nothing's everything's changed and nothing's changed. There's a new tool specific for real estate for 19.99 a month or something absurd like that. That is you know, the new tool that's going to make you a new transaction, and it's all garbage. And I think that. It, whatever that is, you know, I think that we're all going to adopt, you know, some form or fashion of AI pretty rapidly to test it, um, you know, and just see what it, what it is and, and play these tools out and see what they are so that when we see them at other brokerages, because we're all watching the good ones and learning from each other, I think that the AI is going to have an impact that we have not, we are not, we are not yet able to define or frankly imagine what that, what that effect is going to be. But I think it will affect how we write contracts. I think it will affect, and I've used it to write clauses. I'm not an attorney, so I don't actually use these clauses, but I use, to, to use clauses, say, hey, what about this? And it, it gives you that starting point. But I think that's the risk that we're faced with is, you know, people who use AI to write clauses like that attorney did, um, you know, to argue his case in court and got stopped. You know, but you know, I think the people who use AI to, to, to pretend to be better than they are is the is one of the greater risks? Um, but yeah, we've got video, we've got audio, we've got pictures, we've got text. But I think that the artificial intelligence implementation is going to be something that's that will affect, you know, how we practice on a day to day basis. Yeah, it's you know how how it's adopted and going back to Keith's comment about the iPad and the tablets and how we how we predicted. Uh, Back in 0809, I know we predicted. We said this is going to be the end of realtors printing off MLS sheets. There, there were white papers that Apple was doing with real estate firms of yeah. friends of ours that that were talking about their use of the iPad in the field and how it was transforming everything for their their client experience. And, and it, it just, just didn't. didn't. And it and it didn't. And and I know that I, I go by the printer at our office every day and there's MLS sheets yep. printed out that are sitting there. <laughs> it's just see, touch, feel, right? Ish. People like to see, touch, feel. And it, back back in the early days, we bought an iPad and we actually shared it in the office in the early days of like, how are we going to use this? And this was and kind no of- no one came up with a way to do it. <laughs> uh-huh. but, and I remember going and showing houses and showing the giving the iPad to people and it was just a little clunky like finding yeah. all the MLS sheets not like it's not clunky to shuffle through nine different sheets but you know it is see touch feel like being able to touch a sheet even if it's very poorly designed like the MLS sheets are it's still nice to have it and that's where the information is and i think that the i we've talked about this before on the podcast but i i, I go back to that first video we did 15 years that's ago the best and I forget which one of us said it, but you know, one of us said, when we talked about how we were opening the firm, we were differentiating ourselves, we said we were going to use technology, but not for the sake of using technology, but using to make our clients and our agents better. I mean, 15 years later, I think they're still the same. Is Absolutely. It? So I appreciate y'all. You too. It was great. Good talk. We'll talk in again in a month when we've launched Envoy and we can 
we can talk more about the tech that's that's working and and what we still need to do to keep making it better next phases thanks y'all